All right, welcome back to the Hit Factor. We got all three guys on uh, tap for tonight. And, uh, well, first of all, like, we need to apologize. We've been pretty sketchy with, like, our releases and that sort of stuff. Like, it's it's just been really sketchy. And, uh, like, we don't have, well, we kind of have some excuses. Jeff, like, just bought a house and then his truck, well, he drives a Ford, so you can guess what happened with his truck. Like, just... <laughs> Anybody can just take a pretty good guess and they'll figure it out. Uh, my wife just had a kid uh, a little while ago, so and Sasquatch is just Sasquatch. So hey, it's not been my fault. If you look at both excuses from you two, it comes back to don't get married. I mean, I, I, the podcast. Also, if we were not married, the podcast might be better. There's a chance. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. And, then, but, and we also had some technical difficulties. We had like an episode that we recorded and it didn't work out. So like, so had a little bit of some growing pains with that, but, uh, yeah. And then editor, editor Wyatt or producer Wyatt got, uh, he got like really sick for like a week. So he wasn't able to get in there and do, uh, his, his processing of the, the stuff, but. But we are getting back on track now. Like we're gonna have oh. weekly releases. Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it, dude. That shop yeah. that I have my truck at is friggin' worst, man. They're, They're the worse worst. Than, the worst than us. You don't have dude. it back yet. No. This is like it? the fourth week I've been without a truck, dude. Why don't you just go buy a new one? I uh, I called them before I took it there. And they're like, yeah, it'll be two or three days before we can get to it, though. I was like, okay, I can do that. So I took it, and it was two weeks before they even touched it. And then last Wednesday, they told me, oh, yeah, it'll be done tonight or tomorrow. And then that this Monday, today, I called them. And they're like, oh, no, no, we got busy. It'll be the end of this week. I was like, oh, my God. I can so here's what here's what happens when Jeff calls and like they tell me yeah it's like a couple days and we'll get it done and then like two weeks later he calls and they're like oh no we can't get to it yet it's gonna be just like oh that's okay don't worry about it it's all right rather than being like like actually like get in their face like hey you promised this is gonna be done he's just like oh it's okay so they just figure oh this guy's just some hippie we can just take advantage of him I. I will agree. It it takes me a while to like to get to a point where I'll be really upset about it. it a does. month without a truck doesn't get you all really upset. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So I I took my car in. Uh, I don't know over the winter to have the tires rotated and transmission fluid changed, oil change, and it was during a bad power outage. It was like when all the Texas storms were happening. Yeah, I, t- I took it the day before, and they lost power at the dealership. And the service advisor called me, apologizing because the car was stuck on the lift. It had been out of power for like three hours. He's like, "You're not going to get your car today." And the difference is, like, Jeff's been about his truck for four weeks. And the service advisor advisor was like, "Man, you took this really well." Some people were really bad. It's like, ah, it didn't matter. It's only one day. But if he'd have been up there for four weeks. I think I probably would have just got a different car. 
Well, he would have torn some somebody's leg would have gotten torn off and he would have given him a concussion with it is what would have happened. <laughs> Jeff, why don't you describe the shop you took your truck to? I, I'm envisioning like a mechanic that wears like bib overalls, probably doesn't even wear a shirt, bib overalls. I bet he doesn't even own shoes. One like bay door, the oldest, rustiest looking lift you've ever seen. And I bet the shop is just like filled with like old catalogs and magazines from like 40 years ago, just piled up all over the waiting room. And I guarantee this place does not have a snap-on toolbox in it. How accurate was my description? There's not a single thing that you said that was accurate. Then why the, the hell does it take them so long to fix your truck? The the reason, I don't know the reason, but I mean, this shop is, it's huge. It's probably like 10 or 12 bays. Uh, and they probably, but they probably had, I don't know, dude, 60 or 75 cars sitting out there. No, it's like a freaking car lot. But it's, uh, what it is, is they don't open until one in the afternoon and they're open till 11 at night. And so the guy that runs it, he what? teaches, he teaches automotive, like he teaches mechanics at the, at the Votech hey. in town. And hey, he like that, he employs he employs he employs yeah. his students. That's what it is. So his students can come work after their day job. They can work till eleven o'clock at night working on cars and and getting used to everything. But it's con- it's convenient for people that have day jobs because it's open till eleven at night. So yeah, but it's not convenient because it takes. Four weeks. You took it there because it was cheap, didn't you? Uh, I mean, cheaper than the dealership. I don't know. How much does that have your truck for three weeks cost? <sighs> yeah. No joke, man. No joke. He also Whatever. only took, like, he could have fixed it himself, but he took it to the deal- to the garage because he was like, I don't want to jack with it. Seems like that was probably the bad decision there. Yeah. So next time, I'm just not, take a day I'm, and fix it yourself. I'm, yeah. How long would it have took you to fix it yourself? Like time from start to finish. I don't know. Maybe two days. No, like uh, hours number, wise. Yes, number of hours. I don't know. Probably like eight hours, maybe. Okay, eight eight hours. I'd take it to a dealership too. I would screw with it myself. Well. Yeah, the problem is I just moved and all my tools and everything are still at my old house and I would have had to do it in a gravel driveway and not in a shop. So I just said, screw it, I'll take it in. That was a poor decision. It was a poor decision. That's all there is to it. Like most of your life. Yes, like most of my life. Moving on. All right, so this this episode should come out, I don't know, like, we're like only like 10 days before nationals. I think when this thing comes out, maybe even closer than that should come out the Wednesday before Oh, a week, like a week before nationals. Uh, so, but how are you guys feeling with your prep? Like, where are you at? Like, are y'all still pushing hard? You coasting yet? Uh, have you even thought about nationals yet? If I had to shoot, <laughs> if I had to shoot uh, nationals tomorrow, I'm ready. I'd be I'd be completely okay if I had to get on the airplane tomorrow. 
Man, that's a dangerous spot to be three weeks before nationals. <laughs> I've been that way for a month. But didn't Jeff right. beat you at Ozarks less than a month ago? Yeah. Win some, lose some. <laughs> just, I mean, just checking. Every every time I shoot, I'm shooting better than I did the time before. That's good. So do you guys like uh I mean, like this is this is definitely a thing in in team sports and team stuff like that. As far as like trying to peak at the right time, uh, like not peaking too early or peaking too late or anything like that. Do you guys ever consider that in your like in your training in your shooting, like trying to peak for a match? Is that a consideration? Or are you just always just trying to get better all the time. So in in the past, I've always like you know practice probably more than I am now. And ramped up for that, like big matches or majors. And honestly, I said, I, I seriously think it for me is it's not like shooting a little bit less and having a little more time to do other things. I think has been really good for me. Yeah. I, I think I'm far more focused and motivated when I am training. And there's a lot less ever just like going through the motions or shooting. Or, you know, just shooting to shoot because you're supposed to because it's Wednesday and you practice on Wednesday. Yeah. Hmm. Like, the, the pace that I am going at right now is would be very easy for me to carry this all the way through ICAT Nationals. Yeah. So, what's, I mean, what, so what, it, like, you're, you say your pace, like, what, so what does a week look like for you? Uh, so, uh, I've been live firing twice a week. Uh, I'd say probably averaging about 250 rounds each time. And okay. then, I, then, uh, the last three weeks there've been, there's been local matches on the weekend. So I shot those and then I, I shoot my Tuesday night indoor match. So you're really shooting like four times. You got two live fire practices and then basically a, a mini match on Tuesday and then a local on the weekends. Yeah. I mean, the, the mini match is kind of a local. We generally shoot four stages. So it, it's not bad. And and then uh, I'm dry firing uh, probably the equivalent of like five or six sessions a week. So yeah. like I did two today. Uh, I'll do none tomorrow. I'll do two on Wednesday. Uh, I'll probably go shoot on Thursday. Do a couple on Friday. And I'll, I'll train on Saturday and then set up my local match that I help run and I'll shoot the local match on Sunday. So, and you're, that's, you're going to, you're just going to keep doing that until nationals. You're not really changing any of that. No, uh, uh, I'll change up a little bit the weekend before nationals. My cousin's getting married and I haven't found a good excuse to get out of going to the wedding. So, <laughs> uh, I'll probably, I'll probably drive up to my parents' house on, Friday night after work, I'll probably take a half day on Thursday to go train on Thursday instead, spend a little more time at the range, and then drive up there on Friday. I'll go out to the range early on Saturday morning and early on Sunday morning as well. Cool. I mean, I think that's, I think it's, if, honestly, if everything's working, like, I, I think it'd be a mistake to try to change it, honestly. If you're, if you're feeling good, feeling confident, then I would just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that's so great. Jeff, you haven't had a truck for a month. Uh, 
Have yeah. you even like shot a gun since Ozarks? Hmm. Nope. I haven't. The truck broke down on the way home from Ozarks and uh I went I was going out to the range this last weekend and I got all the way out there and realized that my range key was still in my truck and it was at the shop. So I couldn't shoot. Even though I I went out there, I like crammed everything in my wife's car and went out there and realized I didn't have a key. So And that's not enough for you to go and yell at that shop like, hey, you're jacking <laughs> with my life. Give me my truck back. You sound very prepared for nationals. It is what it is. So I came back home. I unloaded everything into my well, I have like two acres now. So I went out into an open part of my property unloaded everything and did a whole bunch of just dry practice running around in the in the daylight with real targets and all that stuff so i got some good practice in that day it just wasn't the practice i was wanting so that sounds pretty good so i mean not having shot in i can't remember how long ozarks was but uh like how (laughs) do you feel how do you feel about your shooting right now i don't know don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't have anything to go off of so remember last week he was very confident that he was being yeah. me. as as far as i'm concerned you know last time i shot a pistol uh kicked jared's ass so <laughs> i mean that's true that's that what i true. got to go off of so um yeah i don't know i mean as soon as i get my truck back i'll get out there so i'm loading bullets and dry firing every day uh Doing what I can, man. That's all I can do. So, wow, that's rough, man. Is what it is. I mean, I think it would be nice, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still like feeling. I still feel like the confidence building and stuff, even if it is like a false sense of confidence. You know, uh, I'm still feeling it like building as like the intensity grows as we get closer to nationals and like the focus kind of starts zooming in. Uh, you just got to start getting more focused and dry fire and get more serious and kind of getting that uh, killer instinct coming can get, in. Can you get your first stage at nationals on camera? Have them get your face because I want to see that look that first time that gun goes off at nationals and you're like, oh, fuck, I should have shot more. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. just like like that this delusional world that Jeff lives in that like he doesn't. <laughs> like shoot rounds and he still says he's gaining confidence like i wish i could live in that world like i mean that that is that is a talent right there i mean if if natural talent was ever a thing the ability to gain confidence without actually training to get confidence this has to be a talent <laughs> could be could be <laughs> but i'm yeah i'm definitely feeling you know not so great at not not being able to shoot but yeah. I don't know. It's what it is, man. It is what it is. Man. I, for one, love Jeff's current practice yeah. schedule. Yeah. Okay. How you're gonna love I mean, you're gonna love it even more when when I beat you and I just haven't even been shooting, Jared. Yeah. Okay. How how yeah. is that gonna feel if if Jeff does actually beat you, Sasquatch? <laughs> I mean, if I shoot well, I probably won't care. But he's not going to, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh god yeah man i mean i look forward to, i kind of wish 
I wish y'all were squatted together and I wish I could be on your squad without shooting. And then I could just egg both of you on is what I wish. I am really gr- glad that we're actually not squatted together. Cause that, that will just take like a tremendous amount of pressure off of me. Uh, Oh, I, yeah. could be so, I could be so far under Jeff's skin by halfway through the first day, he would not shoot well. He could, which is a shitty thing to do, but he could. <laughs> I, the I the beauty of could, it is... I didn't say would. The beauty of it is a three-day match, so like when we yeah. go out for margaritas and Mexican food every night after the match, we can look at scores and, and the trash talking right. can commence. But it can. This is true. Yeah. If we can find Mexican food out there. Yeah, it'll be right next to Jared's hotel. So I'm sure it's within walking distance of Jared's hotel. Hey, if you don't have to drive, you can drink more. <laughs> uh, I was going to, I didn't get to answer the, the question about peaking and oh, yeah. how we approach that. Um, so for me, like, and I think this is, you know, I don't really have any experience with peaking per se in other sports, but. I kind of figured it's like you try to ride this like razor's edge of trying to be uh, put in enough effort that you're, you know, as good as you can be without being overtrained or burnout. And uh, for me, it's never really an issue because uh, other than dry fire, I guess dry fire it is. uh, Like I can overdo it in dry fire if I dry fire for an hour or two something. Uh, but it's just never an issue because I don't, I don't shoot that much. Like, you know, in a heavy year, I'll shoot like 20,000 rounds or something like that. So over, you know, over training or something like that is not, not something I really deal with. It's more like the, the burnout of just having to think about it all the time and, uh, just always planning and getting up early, all that stuff. So if I can manage that, which I do pretty well because I genuinely like getting up early and dry fire is not the only thing I do when I get up early, you know, I'll go work out something else to take my mind uh, off of shooting, but I just work out some stress. Man, but can I say something real quick? Do Getting it. up, like after you have kids, like get, if you're a morning person, getting up early is like, like I actually look forward to it because like... <laughs> Like the first six weeks after Cora was born, like I, like I just didn't have, I just didn't have it to wake up early. Like it just wasn't there. And then here, here in the past, I don't know, week or so, like starting to like get my alarm going, waking up early, like getting out in the shop and like uh, doing a little bit of workout and stuff like that. And it's like, man, it's so good. Like, you know, every, every, everybody's in the house and asleep and like, it's just like, you can do whatever you want. You know, I can only get like, my kids starting to wake up way too freaking early, but it, you got like 45 minutes to do whatever you want. Uh, and it's, it's what great. Time are you, what time are you getting up? Right now, my alarm's set at 6. Um, that's, not, that's not that early. I woke up at like 5.20 this morning. Um, that's it. So it's, it's just, I mean, like, the alarm's <laughs> set at 6. Like, if if I get up at 6, then that, I can get some, I can get some work in before yeah before you're needed by other people right yeah no the 
Like that's the that is the only time other than live fire, like other than actually going to the range on like a Wednesday night or a weekend afternoon. Uh, those are like my my times that are set aside. Like my family knows I'm going to the range on Wednesday night, so don't plan yeah. on me being home. Don't plan on me being there for dinner. Yeah, and, and uh, usually you know an afternoon on the weekend if I can, I'll go shoot either a match or I'll go to the range. Uh, but yeah, other than that, other than you know Wednesday evening or a, a weekend afternoon, like that is the only time I train is in the morning from and actually the only time i train is from four to five in the morning so the rest is other stuff yeah and when do you go to bed it it varies i go to bed sometimes super early sometimes like nine o'clock uh sometimes like 11 o'clock yeah if yeah, I have I to stay mo- up late, if I have to stay up late, uh, I try to just not think about it, man. Uh, yeah. If I have to go to bed at midnight, I just try not to think about it and get up at four and do my thing. Well, what always kills me is if like, I stay up too late the night before, they come up from work, dry fire, eat dinner, and I'll sit down on the couch to watch a little bit of TV, and then I'll wake up at like 10 o'clock and like, go back to bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's definitely something I have struggled with uh, in the last probably year with keeping this schedule is I'll get home from work and eat dinner and I'll like, like sit down on the couch or something to play with the kid and like straight up, like be, be playing with her, like can't keep my eyes open. It's like seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock. It's like, I, I will fall asleep talking to her. <laughs> If I sit down, if I, if I keep moving, I'm fine. But yeah, I'm like on the edge of death, I think, but oh, well, you might, uh, the week before nationals, as far as like peaking, if we're going to talk about that, uh, one of the most important things they would probably tell you is having good sleep, uh, and getting good sleep recovery. So I would say, uh, Mm -hmm. that week before nationals, uh, it would be smart to get a lot more sleep than you currently are. Although the good thing is, is. I think I'm picking you up again, and I'm sure you'll just sit in the car and sleep the whole way. So you'll get caught up yeah. on all your sleep on the way there. So probably won't yeah. be a problem. Dude, do you remember uh, Nationals in Frostproof <laughs> when I had booked my flight at like six in the morning to get there? So I uh, I got like two hours of sleep the day before Nationals. It was like I went to bed at midnight, and then I got up at two o'clock and drove to the airport. <laughs> And then I flew there, and then we were up till eleven o'clock that night. Oh, dude, that was long. Day. I do remember that was a that. long ass day. Twenty nineteen nationals in uh, St. George, high cap. I was I, I flew to the Czech Republic. It was there for like eight days before the match, so it was I think it's like thirteen hours time difference or something, or twelve or something like that. Anyways, I I landed in Kansas City from the Czech Republic, got home at like. 11 o'clock at night got up it was like back at the airport like 7 a.m to come to to go to utah so it was also two hours ahead of me in utah so like every night we'd come home for the match 
in the house we were renting, like I'd fall asleep on the couch at like five thirty. And I was always I was the first one up in the house every night. I'd be up at like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Like by the time anybody else woke up at like six AM, I'm like a pot of coffee in. I've been watching TV for two hours. <laughs> wow. So I think the whole idea of like peaking, I think it's legit. Like if, I mean, talking about sleep and stuff like that, uh, it's very, I mean, like if you look into the the sports that have money in them, like we can, we can people are going to be sick of us talking about golf, but you know, when golf started back up uh, with COVID, um, they basically made it so that everybody on tour was wearing a whoop band which I don't know if people are familiar with whoop bands or whatever, but they monitor your, like they monitor your sleep. They monitor your kind of, your just overall healthiness and that sort of stuff. Like it tells you, okay, you recovered 80%, like you got 80% recovery last night in your sleep or last night you, you slept six hours and you only recovered like 40%. And so there was this way that they kind of, people were able to kind of monitor their, what that was telling them as far as how they were actually feeling physically based on how they would actually perform. Um, and I mean, I haven't totally kept track of it and I don't know that there's a ton of concrete numbers out there. Like I know that Justin Thomas won a while ago and like, I mean, it was, he was feeling good and his, like his recovery, like when he was sleeping was like something like 90%, which is like crazy high to be able to get that much recovery when you sleep and stuff. And like, and it correlated into his performance. Um, but you also see it, I mean, you see it like like the NBA, right? Like guys rest, like you see a lot more players now resting so that like they don't necessarily care so much about having the best record during the regular season, but they want to be as fresh as possible for the playoffs and the postseason, right? And it's, but it's, there's this weird balance of you could rest too much and then, and then you're almost, you're cold going into the playoffs like if you rest your whole team, right? So there's there's like this weird balance that you see in coaches trying to manipulate that and trying to figure out what's best for their team and and how they need to do it. Like LeBron James is, he'll play 82 games if he's not hurt, which he's historically in his career has been like basically the most durable player the NBA's ever seen. Um, maybe except Vince Carter, I don't know. But then you see a guy like Kawhi Leonard and the dude rests all the time. And come playoffs time, he's just an absolute assassin. Um, hmm. And so, like, so, I, like, I think the idea of peaking is is very interesting because the concept is that you really can't stay at your peak level of performance. Like, you can't maintain your peak level of performance year round. Like, it, yeah. like, it's just not. It's not. You're not able to maintain that. Um, I don't necessarily know in our sport if that's. Uh, if that's quite as, I just don't know if the the depth of competition is there to where that is is as big a deal as it is in other yeah. sports where the depth of competition. I mean, look at the PGA; like the depth of competition there is insane, right? Just because the amount of money. If you win, you win. If you win a tournament, you're a millionaire. Um, yeah. So it's it's crazy when if you win if you win ours, you you lost money. Like, like you win nationals, you're still going to be losing money. Uh, like that's yeah. just kind of the, so, right. but the, I think there is, I think there is something to trying to peak. Uh, and f I haven't figured it out. Like I've, I've tried to do it where I peak, like in like training, like I just train more and more and more and more up to a big match and that hasn't necessarily worked. Um, so <laughs> like, I, like, 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm messing more with this year. Well, it's been a bit out of necessity, but more of trying to peak from a, I don't know, confidence standpoint, a more rested standpoint and less than just, I'm just going to beat my hands up and just put tons of rounds down range. Um, and part of that's just been like, I just, it's like, okay, I can go to the range today, but I need to get there and get back quick. Like, so I'll take 50 rounds or hundred rounds maybe and go shoot something and come back. Yeah. I've thought about the rounds. That's probably one of the more interesting parts for me. This is without a doubt the fewest rounds I've ever shot before a major that especially like when it's a major that I really care about. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I loaded my nationals ammo some Saturday or Sunday. I loaded it this weekend. I loaded seven. I, I loaded like eight hundred rounds, but shipping seven hundred nationals. And looking at my loading, I don't know exactly how much ammo I had left over from last year that I still shot in the Tuesday night indoor matches. I shoot those pretty much year round. But I've loaded fifty five hundred rounds so far this year, and I'm, without a doubt, eighteen hundred of them. Are still in my car because I haven't shipped the ammo yet. Plus, like just a thousand rounds of practicing on the trunk. So I've shot 4,500 rounds so far this year, maybe. And I'll probably shoot six or 700 more before nationals. Yeah. Nice. I will shoot more than that. If I get a truck, I will shoot more than that before nationals. <laughs> yeah, dude, you should I have could... a big stockpile of it waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, dude, if I get my truck back geez i'm gonna go shoot a thousand rounds or something like that well i probably would have shot more but i broke a shell plate on my 1050 and it took me like a week and a half to get a new one gotcha i actually i ordered a backup shell plate after that happened to you i got one of those uh i got one of those tnt it's supposed to be it's supposed to be baller i don't really know if it is i haven't put it on my machine yet but well that's what i bought because that's that's uh i didn't want to buy the same brand that i already broke and uh, Dylan plates were out of stock, and the TNT one was the one I could. I knew I could get the soonest. Uh, Immortal Arms in like Virginia. Like, I messaged him, and he he's like, "I don't have it in stock. We'll have it next week. So if you come back with it." And I'm like, "Okay, take one." Yeah, and Jeremy is like, "I bought a backup for my backup 1050." <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't order. I didn't order two because I I think I'm gonna get a new press. Right, right, of course. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Everybody needs, you know, I like I like, the, I like the look of that new Mark Seven press. I'm thinking about getting one of those. Oof. Yeah. I would I would think hard about that decision. I'm gonna check one out at Nationals. They're supposed to be there, so I'm gonna take a look at it and see if I want one. But so I will say uh I am getting to a point where, like, okay, Nationals is getting closer, and I went and shot a little bit today, and it was like, I'm starting to freak, like, my sense of, like, I need to shoot a ton is starting to really, like, that's starting to really want to kick in hard, and right. so, like, I was just shooting, I just put, today, I just put up three targets at 25 yards, and was just, that's that's basically what I was shooting, a little bit of, a little bit on some steel plates, uh, but that was what I was shooting, uh, and it was like, I don't have enough time and enough rounds to shoot to like, that was what I was feeling at the time. I was like, so I'm, I'm curious what my body's going to go like mentally, what I'm going to go through, like freaking out, wanting to shoot more rounds. Um, yeah. Cause I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot more going forward than I have currently. But 
uh, yeah, there was definitely a sense of that, like, oh, I need to shoot a lot more. And it's probably not really a possibility for me this year, but that was what right. I was thinking. I'm, I'm good with my quantity, too, just because I don't want to shoot too much this year because I want to make sure I have enough primers for next year. So I'm uh, I'm trying to keep my round count around 20 or 25 max for the year. Yeah, and, and I think you're – I mean, I think you also have a bit of advantage – uh jared and just i mean you're shooting two or three matches a week uh assuming there's not a big flaw in your like in your shooting that you need to go practice and fix like if like you're saying you're you're feeling confident then being able to shoot matches and just go out and uh shoot on demand would be like that that's cool like i shot ozarks like that's my one match that i've shot this year and if i if i set up a local match and run it then I can get another match in before nationals. Otherwise, it's like I shoot Ozarks, so it's like this. Okay, do I want to take the time to to build a build a match and run it, uh, or or just go to nationals and I've shot one match this year? Well, you know, like shooting matches is not something that's going to make you better. Like when you're brand new, you certainly need to shoot enough to kind of figure out the game and and like see where you're at, know what to work on and stuff like that. But I do think locally here, I was having the indoor matches, I think is a huge benefit because I never feel like I fall off very much over the winter because I'm still shooting at least once every couple of weeks. Even yeah. if you're not, even if you're not trained up and stuff and you're not dry firing, like you, you definitely don't seem to fall off near as much. I think it's, I think if you didn't live in an area where you could, if you went and shot occasionally over the off season, I think it's certainly helpful. Yeah, and I think there's I think there's a lot to be said just being under match pressure on a on a constant basis because almost no matter what you do in in actual practice you can't replicate that match pressure. Um, and I was a local is different than nationals, but for me personally, like on I feel more pressure. Like Ozarks was way less pressure than I would feel at a local um, for me personally. It's just. I would say Ozark was probably about what I would typically feel like a an outdoor local. Indoors are a little more casual. Um, but yeah, when I when I'm going out and shooting a a local match, I certainly want to I want to beat everybody else that's there. Like I want to I want to do well. I want to shoot well. And there's enough you know pretty good guys shooting high cap around high cap division stuff around here. Like if you're not like on your game. Like you're gonna get left way behind. Yeah. All right. So next topic we got up is gamers are gonna game. And the idea of this is is in our sport, should you game every scenario that you can to try to win? Or like are there are there scenarios where you wouldn't game something? Like for instance. You're shoot, if you're shooting out a popper, uh, and you like you have this popper has been problematic for other people on your squad before you. The problem is, is but everybody before you has shot that popper down, and so they can't. There's no way that they can't. You can't calibrate a popper if it's been shot down. Uh, I mean, the RO could go do that, but so then you shoot it, uh, and it doesn't go down. Do you go ahead and just shoot it down, or do you let it stay standing? And you take the risk that you may lose that miss, but then 
everybody else in the match will kind of get maybe get a more fair shake at the stage. Does it activate anything? Uh, yes, and you can answer that for either one. Okay, so <laughs> okay, so it activates something. Absolutely, drive it down. You can't afford the risk of not driving it down. If it doesn't activate anything, you know, if it's you kind of maybe maybe weigh the options. Like people are having to shoot this thing like three times to drive it down. You're probably not going to be out a lot if you just swing a shot at it and go. But uh, if you if it's clearly like really heavy and not working right, you should at least try to mention it to the RO and be like, "Hey, I think that popper needs fixed before <laughs> before you have to shoot it." Like most R- most ROs are pretty reasonable. If you're like, "Hey, this seems to be having something wrong with it," most of them are probably going to try to fix it. Yeah, well, most, yeah, maybe most, but you will run into an RO that won't. They will refuse to fix it. I sh- at, Because this happened at uh, Ipsic Nationals, I don't know, a couple years ago. We watched the squad in front of us shoot this. It was a popper that activated a swinger or two. Like, you had to, you had to get it down. Like you, were, like, you were screwed if you didn't. We watched a guy with an open gun literally, like, do a mag dump on it. Like, he shot it like 10 times and eventually it fell down. And like he was shooting it and he shot it like three or four times, like looked back at the RO and the RO just, just stood there standing at him like, like what are you going to do? So then he turns around and sh- keeps shooting it. Shot it. Eventually it fell down. Uh, <laughs> and like, like, and there were multiple like shooters. We all shot almost that entire, because obviously the squad was shooting really slow. We saw almost that entire squad shoot it. Uh, and same thing. Like the, it was like, some people it might go down, lots of people it didn't. And the RO's like, it's fine. And so like we get up there and, and I so I at this point I hadn't said anything. I get up there and like talk there, like, hey, can we can you fix this? Like it's clearly a problem. And he's like, No, it's working. It's like, no, it's not working. Uh he's like, Can you at least call the REM? They can look at it. And he said, No, not unless somebody leaves it up. This is, it was the maddest I ever, I had actually worked for me. Uh, like it worked fine. Like I got through it, whatever. Um, I almost, I think I almost got kicked out of the match because like <laughs> it screwed like a couple other of my competitors over. And like, I just, I lit yeah. into that RO. Like, what are you doing? Like do something like, obviously this isn't working. Like people are like, this is for like world shoot points. Like you are screwing people over, do something. And he finally like like actually the the scorekeeper finally came to like dude you need to you need to go you need to back off you need to go stand over there. <laughs> I think I remember I think I talked to you after that. Is that in twenty eighteen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember because you said you almost got kicked out of the match when me and Hopkins were talking to you. Yeah, I was I was so <laughs> mad like that that made me so mad. Uh, that was that was terrible. I haven't seen that guy RO a match again so. I mean, hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the more important thing there, though, too, is you were concerned about the competitive equity. Like, you just wanted it fair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I want to, I, I mean, I think that, to me, that is the RO's, almost their biggest job. And it's yeah. not really in the rules, but maybe it, it kind of is. But it's like, your job is to make this match as fair for every competitor that comes through your stage. That's why we, all the rules that we have are in place are for that to be, for that to take place. Um, but sometimes you just got to use a little common sense as an RO to make that happen. Well, and 
The arrow's job is to make sure their stage stays running properly and the equipment is properly set and maintained. Like yeah. it, it is if you're getting a ton of reshoots or having a lot of problems on your stage as an RO, it's certainly something you want to like work on, address, and fix. Because it's it's not good in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But I only heard mm-hmm. one match, a DQ Jeff. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> you know, on the, the poppers, I'm not so sure that you should mention anything to the RO because the RO should be watching the stage anyway. So it's kind of like if I mention it, I'm telling him something he already knows, right? Like if I say, Hey, I think that popper, I think that popper needs to be calibrated. Well, he's watched every person shoot it. Why wouldn't you know? Well, so it's basically like I'm, I'm trying to get him to change it for me. That that's what's really happening. No. Okay. So, there was that stage at Ozark. I mentioned it to the RO. I was like, hey, this popper is set like really heavy. So then he took a look at it. And we we noticed it was set heavy after like on like the fourth shooter because the first three guys were shooting major and it went down fine. And then the shooter like center punched it and didn't fall with a minor gun. Right. So it, I think it's certainly appropriate to let the RO know, hey, something's wrong with this. Because at the end of the day, if he wasn't going to fix it, I would have just planned on two shots on him. It would have been a big deal, but it's still not right. It needed fixed. But he wouldn't have fixed it unless you told him to. I mentioned it to him that he needed to look at it. But he didn't catch it because <laughs> people that are people have been shooting with major and it's falling about like normal. Like You can't expect him to catch that. I mean, it, it works both ways. Like You can't be mad at the RO because he misses something. And then you're like, I'm not going to tell him that, you know, hey, I think you should take a look at this. It's no different than if an RO walks by a, a target and he, he goes, Alpha Charlie, and you're like, oh, RO, take, can you take a look at this? I think it's too alpha. Like, I would do that for a competitor. If an RO clearly misses a call before I pace the target, I'm like, hey, you, you want to take a look at this? I would hope you would do the same, Jeff. I mean, I don't think that's the same, but okay. I feel like Jeff's response here is exactly like his response to this for, this garage that's got his truck. It's like, why would you why would you try to get them upset? They already know they have your truck. They already know it needs work. So just be quiet and they'll <laughs> they'll do it. They'll do their job. I just I'm trying to find like I don't understand bringing it up to the RO. The RO is watching every shooter shoot. It's like me saying, "Hey RO, I think that's a little heavy." He already knows it's a little heavy. So basically, he's like trying to decide if he wants to listen to me or not. That's what's happening, right? Okay. Yeah. This is, this is gonna, this may sound really bad. And like I say this full well knowing it sounds bad. Maybe people will laugh. Jeff, I think you're assuming that every RO is of equal intelligence to you, which, well, that might be the case. Uh, but like, you're assuming that they are observing these things and recognizing that that they're smart enough to recognize these things aren't working, and every, that is not always the case. Every RO that's ever owed me in a match is smarter than Jeff, without a doubt. <laughs> Hell, one of the ROs had a dog with him. I think it was smarter than Jeff. That's <laughs> might not might be true, uh, but also, I mean, at the same time, there is like the ROs aren't. And this is why this is why I think Epsic actually does a better does a little bit better job 
because in America, the ROs are expected to run the timer and that's it. And then the, all the competitors are expected to reset everything. So oftentimes the ROs aren't actually seeing what's happening on their stage that competitors are seeing because competitors are resetting it. Whereas you see in IPSC matches, the ROs are actually the ones that reset all the stage because they check over the stage between every shooter to make sure that everything is staying the same and is consistent from shooter to shooter to shooter. Uh, and like, there's just, it's like this weird, there's this weird difference of attitude uh, and expectation from an RO in IPSC versus in USPSA. Yeah. Well, and then like, like the other part, Jeff Lee you know, a popper's head stake down and the, there's, you know, the ground's a little soft. After it's went down for the first half of the squads, like now it's pounded into the mud. It's set heavier than it was earlier. Right. And it's not a problem until all of a sudden it is. Yeah, and the, and the ROs, I mean, if the ROs not setting that steel, if competitors are setting it, he'll never know that that's the case until until it does screw somebody over. Mm-hmm. All right. So can y'all think of, like, a scenario where you think, like, gaming is taking too far? Uh, I wouldn't call it too far, but let's say I just trying to game something because you can is not normally a very smart thing. Like, a good example of that sometimes you'll see is let's say if you, you can lean if you set up in the middle of a, a port you can lean really hard and shoot the targets on the left side and then lean really hard and shoot the targets on the right side and you're like oh I'm shooting it all from one spot when really it's faster just to shoot it as two positions like go to the right side shoot the targets go to the left side shoot the targets because you're not doing all that extra leaning and moving around okay so that brings up a, a decent scenario let's say we're at a local match like this is a local match okay uh, and somebody set up a stage and they say they didn't, they had to set it up in a hurry. They either don't have experience setting up stages or whatever, and they set it up and you can basically, you're, you've got a lot more experience. And so you are used to like looking over stages and you figure out a way that like you can literally just completely blow up the stage. You can basically go and stand in one spot and shoot everything. And the whole stage is completely blown up. Um, and let's say you're the last shoot, like you're the last squad, like everybody else, nobody else is seen or whatever. Do you do you go ahead and just blow the stage up? Is if there's a hole in the stage and it is clearly beneficial to shoot the stage in that way, then absolutely. Your job is to look at the stage and find the best way to shoot it. So if there's a clear hole that's like, if I shoot it this way, it's gonna be far faster, then absolutely. You should always you know, use a little sense, look at it, be like, okay, what is the, what is the best way for me to shoot this stage? It's as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm not huge on the gaming stuff anyway. Like that's, that's not something I I work terribly hard at when I (laughs) shooting club matches or whatnot. Like I'm much more focused on uh, other things than like trying to game every single stage. But but yeah, if if I see somebody for sure shoot shoot a stage and it's like well, that's not really what they were thinking here, but it's definitely faster and better. Well, yeah, I'm gonna do that. Uh, yeah, one thing I don't think you should game all the time that a lot of people really abuse, and I've been in the presence of people that abuse it, and it's one of the most annoying things in the sport is people calling for doubles <laughs> and freaking dude calling the range master like 
10 times during a match and you're like seriously man come on you're not that good you're just not you didn't get two deltas in one hole i especially love it too it's like a 35 yard target with a delta they're like oh that's two that's two deltas Two deltas, it's perfect, yeah. It's a perfect double. I, I shot a forty split on this target. Shot a delta or two delta, yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably the one thing you or one of the things you definitely should not be trying to game all the time. I had a match last year where I called it. It was a swinger. It was shot at an angle. It was like twenty yards, and I called the second shot iffy. And we're walking through the arrows right behind me. I look over at the swinger. I'm like, yeah, I thought that would might have been a bite. And he's looking at it, he's like. What's oblong? I'm like, like, trust me, it's Charlie Mike. It's on the site. He's like, eh, it's oblong. I'm calling it to Charlie. I'm like, it's Charlie Mike. Oblong. <laughs> so at, at what point, Jeff, does it, like, do you think it's over the top to be calling for overlays and doubles? Uh, like, at what point? Like, so would you ever pull a target? Would I ever? Yeah. Okay, so but like at what like it's at not going to be very often, man. Like, I mean, I have to really think that it's a double, and like, I know I'm not that good, right? I know I'm not just shooting doubles all the time. Uh, so it's like if I if I think it's an actual double, like I look at it and like that looks like two holes to me, and the Arlo's calling it one. Yeah, I think I've done it like once or twice, maybe. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I have the opposite of that. I'm like. There was a target at Nationals a couple of years ago where when I shot that target, I was sure that it was a good shot. I was sure there was two out with a headshot at like 10 or 12 yards. I'm like, man, I'm sure that was a good shot. And, and the RO asked me to overlay it. He overlay it. He called it Alpha Mike. He's like, do you want to pull it? I'm like, uh, Ray was the RO for that section. I looked at the target too. I'm like, man, there's no point. Like, he's going to come over here and make the same call. And then later that night, I was looking at the video, and you can see it. I just got on the trigger a little too quick, and I shot it right over the top of it. I'm like, yep, I made the right call. There you go. But, like, in the moment, I was sure it was there. Yeah. I mean, if I thought it was there, I would let him, I would let him, I would let him call the range master, come look at it, if I thought it was there, but. There's no, there's no point, though. It's, it's scored as a shot. It's, the, the RO has already overlaid it for you. You've seen it, too, with the overlay. You know the call the RM is going to make. Like, there's no point in wasting time. Like, keep the match moving. Oh, I've seen the RM come over and overturn calls plenty. Yeah, of times. I've seen that. I've seen that several times. Yeah, yeah. It might, it might happen sometimes, but I didn't think the R. I didn't think the RO was wrong. I thought it was. I thought it was too alpha. They overlaid it. It wasn't going to get changed when the RM got there. Yeah, I've I've run into a situation where like. I've asked for an overlay and like the RO puts the overlay up there and they're like, yeah, it's still alpha mic or whatever. And I'm like looking at the overlay. It's like, dude, that grease ring is outside the overlay. Like, are you sure? And he'll look like, yep. Alpha mic is like, okay, pull the target. Like, <laughs> like, like it's like when you're looking at the overlay and you're looking at something different than them. Um, so like, do y'all think it's, I don't know. So it, do you think it's, illegitimate like say you know like say it like you know you pulled off but you go ahead and call for the like do you still go and call for the overlay and see if it's if they'll give it to you is that is that sketchy i would consider that sketchy 
Yeah, I don't do that. Like if I if I know I threw the shot, then I threw the shot. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to do that. I mean, I, if I win, I want to win, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to win because I'm better. Because I'm better than Jared. That's why I want to beat him. <laughs> yeah. So what about uh? Let's see. What are other ways people game to cheat stuff? Let's say Chrono. Uh, so right before you go to Chrono, you go ahead and go to the safe area and squirt some oil in your barrel. You're still shooting the same ammo. You're still using the same ammo, but that first round, that first round might be a little hotter. <laughs> Is that a thing? Does that work? <laughs> well, it theoretically, I mean, theoretically, yeah, you squirt oil in your barrel and it should go faster. Uh, I, I most certainly do not do that because I don't like load my ammo that close if if my ammo is going minor or sub minor a whole lot of people at the match are going sub minor I mean, my my normal load is like 134 135 it's it's plenty hot right? well yeah, okay i mean yeah let's i mean you guys are loaded but like i mean we're talking yeah. almost like is that i mean is that over or, the line okay. is wait here's here's another way you can play the chrono right so what if you're shooting this match declared ammo or whatever, right? That that you know is significantly lighter, but it's match it's match declared ammo. Should you game that? Should you be like, oh, I know this is lighter, but it's gonna count anyway, so I'm gonna shoot it. I'm not an issue with that. If it's approved ammo, it's on them to make sure the ammo actually is like it's on the match to make sure the ammo is right in USPSA. And I mean, at the end of the day, unless it's like making major power factor shooting like 130, then I don't think it matters. I mean, yeah, you're not, when you're shooting a match, you're not going to tell it, like, you're not going to, if you're shooting major, you're not going to tell the difference in 166 and 172. Like, it's not, you're not going to be like, oh, I can't hold on to this gun because it's six power factor more. And so, no, you, but you, 166 and, versus 172, there's a pretty significant difference in how that gun recoils. Oh yeah, when you're if but if you're shooting it all the time, it's not gonna matter, and it's definitely not worth the risk to try to load it down so far. Yeah, but that's not the question. What What do you think, Jeremy? I mean, I'm okay with it. Like, if you want to squirt some oil in your barrel right before you go to Chrono and try to squeak by, if you want to live on that edge, like, <laughs> go for it. What about the match ammo? Match declared ammo. Uh, that's, I mean, that to me, that's not even gaming it, honestly. Like, that's that's just, like, they declared it as, as match ammo. You paid three times more for ammo than what you should have, so like, <laughs> shoot what you want to shoot. Well, hey, I don't know if, if you could get match ammo at Nationals this year for, like, 2019 pricing. Yeah, I would, this pro- year, I would probably shoot the match ammo. Yeah, this year's a little little different on the pricing uh, than yeah. than what... The old normal. That may just be the new normal, but the old normal. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of what other ways to game stuff. Um, I don't have a problem with people shooting match ammo either. I think I think the more common gaming stuff you'll see from people is like trying to start like outside the rules on like in the gray area of the rules and like a say a chair start or a table start or or that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, cheating the start position. Yeah, I wouldn't call it cheating. I'd just say, like, being just... Gaming. So fu- it's gaming. Yeah, gaming. And, and, I mean, a lot of times, 
that stuff doesn't work. You end up like in such an awkward position. You're slower to begin with. Yeah. So I, uh, I kind of experimented with that. Like the, you know how you can like, if there's a hands on walls, you can start with your feet anywhere. So you like mm-hmm. try to start with your feet way over here and like reach to touch the marks. Yeah. And I have found that I'm faster if I just start at the wall with my feet up against the wall there and draw and move is faster than like trying to shift my body over and keep my feet still and draw. It's like the draw is so freaking slow. It's faster just stand normal and then rip out of position and draw the gun and shoot. I found something similar, and it's more so because it's easier to get a good, consistent grip on yeah. the gun. Consistent and faster. Yeah. Then trying to, like, the being, like, leaned way over here, having to do all this extra motion to get to the gun, it's just, you end up with a, if you do that, you end up with an awkward draw. You you increase the odds of a, a bad grip, but then you're trying to fix the grip, and you're not any faster, so all you do is give away time. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it might not be faster for some people, but for me personally, I have found it's faster to just, like, look where I want my feet to go, you know, and, like, immediately move my feet there and draw the gun. It just, like, the the draw is way better. Yeah, I I mean, I mostly agree with that. Like, the, the there are some instances where it's, like, you have to hit a very specific spot. And yeah. you can start like with your foot, like in that spot. And let's say it's not just like some stupid, crazy lean to like you're not like leaning at like a forty five degrees to touch the hand still. That might be a scenario where I would I would consider going ahead and leaning. We had a we had a guy that we shot with at nationals last year that was shooting open. This was a high cap nationals, and dude, this guy he put himself in the weirdest, most awkward positions that I've ever <laughs> seen. Like constantly like all the time it was like what are you doing like i mean it was crazy what he was like contorting his body into doing stuff he was shooting open uh the dude made top 10 like i mean like oh, like nice. your watch the watcher was like what what is going on in your mind right now like mm, you just like that, you're crazy town it was that uh that start position gaming that's what got him that top 10 man <laughs> it got it right out of the. It got him out of the top six, so he got a top six. <laughs> Dude, it was it was that. It was like I mean, like shooting, like literally everything. He po- like if there was a target and you could be moving, like if you didn't need, he'd be moving. I will say this guy, like his starts, like he was one of these guys that like put it like say your hands had to start on the wall. He'd like put his hands to his gun like ten times. Yeah. Like every yeah. stage, the RO would start to say, "Are you ready?" And like he would move his hands like five or six more times, and just like, oh my gosh, like, bro, you gotta speed this up a bit. Top ten, bro. Top ten. Uh, okay. So here's a here's another bit of gaming that you kind of see. Um, would you ever like? Uh, let's say let's say you guys. Well, okay, y'all are going into the last day. Uh, and Jeff, you shot a stage well the day before. It seems like maybe you had a plan that nobody else has shot. And you're beating Jared by 10 points. And he asks you, hey, how'd you shoot this stage? You going to tell him your plan? Yeah, I'd tell him. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, I would. I wouldn't keep that from him. Is that just because he's your bro? Or because no, it ripped one of your it, legs off? No, <laughs> that too. 
if, if anybody asked me, I would tell them my plan. I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to keep it from them. So, like, that is a thing, like, especially on the super squads, like, where guys will, like, they try to keep their plan secret. Like, they'll tell, they'll even tell other competitors, uh, like, they'll have two plans and they'll tell competitors wrong plans so that they don't yeah. know what they're actually doing until they shoot it. Obviously, you know, it only works if you're kind of at the later part of the, the shooting order, right? But yeah, I feel like I've probably, left some people with the impression that I would do that but it is just because I say I'm going to do one thing and then I watch some people shoot and I decide to do something else uh, you're just wishy-washy yeah I just like changed my mind uh, but yeah if, if somebody asks me I'll, I'll shoot straight with them yeah I'm not going to intentionally mislead someone on the stage plan like I mean there's certainly been times where I knew the bottom of the order and someone did something and I'm like oh you can see that target there never mind I'm going to change this a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think, I think reacting to, to somebody else shooting a stage is different. That's, that's a reaction. That's not like you intentionally, uh, misleading somebody and not telling them like what you not talking, basically not talking to somebody about a stage or to talking to them and talk them into something bad. Yeah, I just know that I I have before told somebody that oh yeah I'm gonna do this and then they shoot and do that and then I decide to do something else so it it comes off as assholeish but I mean like I was the I was the brunt of that at uh it might have been nationals last year or two years no it was nationals two years ago it was in Florida and uh, I was like second. On a stage, it was it was a stage that had a lot of long shooting. It was kind of okay. You can kind of you can kind of skip a position and shoot some stuff from further away, or you can kind of just do a standing load at the front and shoot stuff closer. And we were kind of him hawing. I was talking to like Phil and Rob about it, and like, yeah, we're gonna shoot it. We'll shoot it back here. Uh, and I shot it, and it went terrible. Um, <laughs> and and nobody else shot it like I did. Like they all shot it up close. <laughs> And so I kind of I kind of sat there and wondered like, okay, did they just tell me that just to see if I would do it, or right. did you they just the react? Pigs. Did they just react to it going poorly to me? And so they're like, uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm just not gonna take the risk and do it like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it left me wondering a little bit, uh, but I wasn't I wasn't upset about it. I made the decision at that point. Right. I mean, I was yeah. upset about my decision, but I wasn't upset at the other people. But so, but okay, you guys said you guys wouldn't do it. But do you think that's like, do you think that's sketchy if somebody does do that? I, I mean, I can see both sides of it. There's people that are viewing it as this is competition. I, I guess you could say I would view it as kind of poor sportsmanship. Like, you know, there's no reason to intentionally mislead somebody if you don't want to talk about your stage then whatever just walk off and don't talk about your stage intentionally sound someone something different i i don't i wouldn't do it i mean i would think most people probably wouldn't but there's certainly people that will oh i guarantee you there are that that is happening (laughs) yeah yeah um I don't know. I like to think that I wouldn't really care. Like, I, I, I get it, right? I get the competitive side of, like, I get it if you don't want to c- 
contribute to your your competitor's success. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like I I might be upset if someone like intentionally misled me on a stage. But at the same time, I don't I don't ask for people's stage plans or anything like that. Usually, it's just like usually it's like are you shooting that from here or something like that? Uh, it's very, very short things that I'll ask people, but yeah, outside of like people that I know that I'm shooting with, like discussing the stage with them and ideas. Unless, unless I see someone doing something that that doesn't make sense to me, I might ask them why they're doing that, but I'm not going to ask someone that I don't know, like know fairly well why what they're doing or what their stage plan is yeah like you know like one of my one of my friends said if you're not a different squad i might ask them like hey what's what's the plan on that stage so that i kind of have an idea before i get over there but i'm not going to go up to some guy who i barely know and be like hey what's the stage plan for that see i think that's weird i mean i think go ahead go ahead go ahead no no no. what's what's weird I think it's weird that people that people say that. Like I've I've heard other people say that. Well, oh, what's the plan on this one? What what do we do on this one? Like I don't want to know. Like I don't care what you did on the stage. I I want to figure out what to do on that stage. Well, I mean, when I say that, I'm certainly meaning I'm gonna, if I'm asking one of my friends, if somebody who I know is confident in shooting, like Jeff, if you're shooting section two and I'm shooting section one, and there's a a weird activator sequence or something. I might come up to you and be like, Jeff, what's the order for these targets? So that uh, I have a better so I have a better idea before I get over there. Yeah, I think the I think the asking, hey, what's the plan on this stage is a little bit of uh like a little bit of a shortcutting. Like usually like you haven't been on that stage yet. And so it's you know somebody's walked it and it's a little bit of a shortcut to say you don't want to spend 20 minutes on that stage. Your buddy's already seen it. Okay. Kind of walk me through what I'm looking for here. Yeah, well, like area three where there's that memory stage. Where there was that memory stage last year. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that Jeff and I that's talked an about, exception. That's Jeff an exception. and I talked about a lot of stages at area three last year. We shot them <laughs> different oftentimes, but it wasn't like we weren't talking about and sharing ideas on plants. Yeah. Um, it's because Jeremy wouldn't say, stop talking to me. That's what. <laughs> no, that was that was nationals where you told me to go away. <laughs> Uh, but I do think I do think this is a little bit different for people on the super squad versus not, because um, because the super squad you don't choose to go on there, right? You get put there. Uh, yeah. Now, I mean, lots of people want want to be put there, but it often means you're not necessarily shooting with your buddies. Uh, and so, if you're like if you want to talk about stage plans with people and you haven't been on the super squad before, you're going to have to talk to somebody maybe that you aren't best friends with uh, to, to get your plan. But also like th- that's the only squad where for the most part you're competing directly against your, co- like oft it's pretty, it's not nearly as often that you're on a squad, not on the super squad where you're competing directly against your competition. Talking, just talking about nationals here. Um, and there's a lot of egos, let's say on the super squad where they don't necessarily like each other. Um, and so, uh, I think that's where a lot, some of that stuff comes from of kind of trying to mislead people and not help people out. Well, like generally when I'm shooting with like a friend or something, 
our discussion on stage will be like, well, what do you think? And, and a lot of times it'll come around to like an activator sequence or something like that, where it's like, well, do you think there's time to take this? Because when you see it, it's the RO hitting the popper. It's like, is there time to take that paper and that steel or just that paper first? So that would be a situation where, you know, we'd maybe discuss it a little bit and see what we think or watch the first shooter. But people that I, the people that I don't really know, I mean, unless we're just shooting the shit a little bit or something, I'm not going to might be like, oh, what are you thinking on this stage? You guys should do a field study this year. You're both on the super squads. So you should each just walk around all day and feed everybody on the super squad these bogus stage plans all day long. You know, and I, I, and then record people's responses and, and see how they feel at the end of the day. I feel like the guys on the super squad that I'm shooting with that are in contention to win that match. But one thing that they're really looking forward to this year is having some guy come up to them and ask them <laughs> stupid questions all day for three days. No, no, no. Jeff no, isn't proposing that you ask them questions, that you go up to them and you tell them, hey, you should yeah. shoot it like this. Yeah, you're feeding them oh, bogus stage plans. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah they're, they're, it, would be, it would be a great, great, uh, great idea for your Super Squad debut. <laughs> Just walk around <laughs> tell everybody how to shoot the stages. I doubt anyone on the stage is dumb enough to listen the first time. <laughs> I'm certain after the first time, no one's going to listen. <laughs> I'll do that with uh, Seeklander, and I'll let you know how that goes. <laughs> do that. Do it. Do this it. Is how, this is how Jeremy does. Yeah, it's like the most <laughs> intense guy in the world. God, that guy's intense. He is intense. <laughs> oh, that would be really entertaining, though. I mean, that would be fun to make like a video of, right? That would, would be, be. I mean, it would be yes. like those like gym videos of like people walking around in the gym, like. Showing people how to like button in to people, showing them, tell them they're working out wrong and stuff like that. Yeah, like put it like on like like people wear like GoPros on their hats, like they re- record yeah. their stages, right? Put one on, but just leave it on like the whole time. <laughs> right. That and would be... just go start telling people how to shoot the stage. Yeah. Except wrong. Yeah. My favorite my favorite part of that will be when you see the hat go flying off and it kind of lands on the side. It's pointing to Jeff sitting da- or uh, Jeremy sitting down. Why they're calling medical over and Jeremy's got like a black <laughs> eye and a bleeding nose. And he's like, medical gets there. What happened? I fell. I fell. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to, I'm not, dude, I got cat like reflexes. They're not going to be able to get one off on me like that. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm on the single stack super squad. They're all old, right? Like they're old and slow. You're That's old. Right. the youngest guy in the squad, aren't you? Uh, I don't think I'm the youngest. I don't know. That would be bad. Let's hope I'm not. Let's hope I'm not the youngest guy on the squad. I don't remember. I don't remember who I was on. I don't think so. I think Paul Kerr might be younger than me. Oh, yeah. Might be. I can't remember how old he is. I kind of think he is, but I don't know. Maybe not. Man, I'm going to miss shooting with Paul. He's got that. He's just fun to watch shoot, man. Dude, Paul's psycho. Like, he just... Not like psycho in the head, like his shooting is just like, yeah. There is, there is nobody that rails like Paul Kerr. Like he just, that dude just rails. He shoots quite fast. It's yeah, yeah. No, it's it's pretty crazy what he does. Uh, and the the actually the like as aggressively as he shoots, and 
how cleanly he does that is pretty much insane. Yeah. Just like, yeah, like he's not like, super, you think, okay, uh, somebody sh- like shooting that crazy. Like they're just going to have mics everywhere. And he may have, a, he may have some, but like, like it's not as much as you would think it would be from somebody that's shooting like that. He's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's freaking awesome. All right, I got one last thing. Uh, so as we're recording this, uh, the World Speed Shooting Championship just finished up this last weekend, and I got to give a shout-out to my boy Poji. Uh, he came in. I don't remember what he came in overall for centerfire handguns, but it was like 6th, 7th, 8th or something. Like It was, it was really freaking good. Uh, he shot – his overall time was 88 seconds, and Jerry's – Jerry's has the record for open revolver at 86 seconds. Uh, so Poji was, Damn. so Poji has the second fastest time ever. He's, he's beaten every time Jerry has shot steel challenge except for once. And, and Poji had one stage that he gave up easily three seconds, like over what his just normal time was. And I'm like, I'm not really? playing the woulda, coulda, shoulda game, but I'm just saying like, Poji's a freaking stud, and he was like, he's right there with like the best revolver shooter of all times. Uh, he actually, I think, won a stage outright. Like, he was faster than KC. He was faster than everybody on one of the stages shooting a freaking revolver versus open guns and carry optics guns and all those guys. Damn. Uh, that's pretty crazy. That is. Dang. So, I would like job, to Poggy. see that. Yeah. I think he said his draws, he was averaging like an 83 draw or something like that. He probably kept a running average in his head, right? I'm, I would not be, it would not shock me if he didn't like look at the timer, like look through it, click through it real quick, and then just do the averages in his head. That would not <laughs> surprise me one bit. That dude's crazy too. 83 draw. From hands hands and sides or no. hands up, I mean hands above yeah. shoulders. Yeah, yeah. To a, a double action revolver seems pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah quick. Uh, and I think his pull is closer to like seven pounds. I don't know. Maybe on his steel guns, he's getting down to five pounds. But yeah, like most production DASA guns, you're what five and two. No, mine are like six and a half. Okay. So um, okay. So pretty similar, probably then. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty freaking nuts what he's doing with the revolver. I'm still trying to talk him into shooting some like normal guns, but he's he's pretty set. He's got he's got some goals in mind that he wants to get to with revolver before he. I I gather from the group. Else. I gathered from the group chat you're going to build him an open gun. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Uh, if I did, it'd be the first and last. Yeah. <laughs> It would be one of one. I assumed you started on that today. Uh, I don't know if he can afford it. Well, you, he gets a friend discount. Uh, even the friend discount on a one of one never to do again is going to be pretty pricey. Right, you, <laughs> you, you told me when I wanted you to build me in 1911 that if I supplied the part, you'd do it for 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I'll good assemble deal. it. <laughs> Yeah, just cram it off together. <laughs> yeah, send me a frame and slide. I got a tons of mil spec takeoff parts. I can build you a 1911 quick. That won't be a. That will not be a problem. 
I was just going to find as, as oversized a parts as possible. Yeah. Call it, to, call it to Dan Weston and be like, hey, find me a frame and a slide that will take the absolute max amount of work to make them work together and send it. I've got a belt sander. That's no problem. <laughs> no problem here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a grinder like that. I can fit that sucker quick. <laughs> you just take a cutoff wheel and that's what you, that's what you, that's what you fit the slide and frame rails with. Like it, you can just zzz, couple passes with that. You're good. Read, cu- read custom, custom pistols, I think folks. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Just go in. If you want to put that, put a front side on it, just get your stick welder out and hold it there. You don't even put a hood on. Just close your eyes real quick and mm-hmm. zap it real quick. It'll stick. Yeah, I've done some stick welding on a 1911. It was awesome. <laughs> that did. That does not surprise me one, <laughs> one the bit. Awesome, the awesome part does not sound very believable, though. It was awesome. I, I pinned, bet it was I, awesome. I, I bet it was I terrible, but I bet the it was grip awesome. safety. I pinned the grip safety on my Dan Wesson with a stick welder. <laughs> Boy, did you just like? Did you just stick weld like a little lug on the bottom of it so it wouldn't come back out, or did you like weld yeah. it to the frame? <laughs> I would not be surprised if you welded it to the frame. Oh, no, I just put a little dab of weld on there and filed it down. That's I should have, crazy. though. I should have just freaking ran a beat up both sides of the back of that thing. Just <laughs> would have been awesome great to change the trigger or something. Yeah, and then I should have showed Jeremy like I was super proud of it, too. <laughs> like, dude, look at this. I'm just impressed that Jeff knew how to get the grip safety out of the gun. <laughs> like I can do that. You well, got to remove, but but I can do. You got to re- remove a pin and a thumb safety, and that's that's tough. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot, a lot of time of I don't have. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> all right, that's it. That's all we're doing. Let's pinch it off. Oh, stop recording! Damn it. <laughs>